Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. You can hear me, Dr. Riley? Yeah, the video. Uh, where's the speaker here? There's a speaker. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, go ahead. You were saying. <clears throat> Are we live right now? Yeah. Okay, hey, everybody. Hey, Evangelist Jonathan, a man that was called by God when an angel appeared to him at the age of eight, stood by his bedside. <laughs> and what did the angel say to you? God has reserved you for this uh, last period of time to be an evangelist, to call men and women that are now in darkness into the light, for soon it'll be eternally too late. Do you understand? I said yes, and, and he left. And then he disappeared. You know, it's pretty phenomenal when God would call somebody like that at the age of eight. You know, I didn't have an angel appear to me, but... I also knew God had called me, and I knew that God had called me to America, which is crazy. How, as a kid, that you could feel that pull. And uh, I'm so glad that you're still obeying the call of the Lord and the commission that God gave you by the angel of the Lord at the age of eight to warn people. And I'm so glad you're live on the air every day and praying for supernatural expansion of this uh, television ministry. Thanks a lot. Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, everybody, and we were talking on the phone on the way into the studio, and I didn't feel like stopping talking. So basically, I just wanted you to continue with what you were saying, and, and I'll listen. Yeah, I feel that when God speaks to us, it's so imperative that we immediately obey, because what happens is a lot of times we delay, and when the Word of the Lord comes to you to do something, it's in the release of the word of the Lord that the gift of faith is released for provision to do what he said for you to do. For example, I had that dream in the early part of 98, which was so vivid. It was so obviously, I mean, just as real as that angel appearing to you in the dream. It was like I was right there. So there were actually two dreams, one that happened when I was about 12, 13, the other one that happened obviously in 98, and I connected the two together. But the dream in 98 was I was standing, looking over New York City, and I could see the, the, the major, you know, Manhattan. I mean, when you stand in the middle of Manhattan on a tall building looking over the city, and standing by me was Dr. Billy Graham, which I got into trouble because I even told about the dream, and then people called the ministry and said, how dare you? Who do you think you are that Billy Graham would even appear to you <laughs> in a dream? And what they don't understand was Billy Graham had a major impact on my life as a little boy watching the films of his crusades. Not only the films, he did a lot of movies where people got saved at his crusades. And I watched all of that. Plus, I worked with You for Christ for over here, which is a Billy Graham organization. So I was very connected to the Graham organization in Southern Africa. Um, I traveled with you for Christ for one year, 1980. That was my basic start into the ministry. I actually head up, I headed up you for Christ in the Trans Sky, which was an independent country, and I was only 18 years of age. So um, some people think they own men of God or they own a group of people they don't understand. Even though I was Pentecostal, I actually 
uh, highly respected uh, Billy Graham as an evangelist and, and, and his gift that God had called him. Anyway, needless to say, I got into trouble because I mentioned that Billy Graham appeared to, was in the dream with me. And I, I mean, I, in the dream, I couldn't say, uh, Dr. Graham, uh, with all due respect, please, could you leave now? Uh, you should not even be seen here with me in the stream, you know. Right. So it's it's funny to me how people are. They think they own men of God and they own who you can have access to or whatever. And I don't see it that way at all. Anyway, um, and he was talking about the crusade that he had back in the 50s where um, Billy Graham went to Madison Square Garden, ended up staying uh, uh, three months at Madison Square Garden, and then he actually went to the big stadium. And it, it was it was a supernatural. The, the, uh, you couldn't get near the garden. There were traffic jams. I mean, it was, it was crazy what happened back in the 50s. But in the dream, he was talking to me about the crusade. And in the dream, I began to weep uncontrollably. And I wept so hard in the dream. It was like my heart was broken over the city of New York that when I woke up in the morning time, my pillow was soaking wet, like you took a jug of water and poured it on your pillow. So I knew it wasn't just something that I had because I'd eaten some pizza with too much mozzarella cheese on or whatever, that this was real. And as I got out of bed, I heard the Lord say, go to New York City, launch one of the biggest soul winning crusades since the 50s. And so that's what started the ball rolling. Well, I remember being in a meeting in Lake Charles, Louisiana, the very next week, and I was in the back room talking to pastor, and I said, hey, the Lord spoke to me in a dream to go to New York City, launch one of the biggest soul winning crusades. The pastor looked at me and said, I want to give $100,000 for that meeting. And I thought, what? Are you kidding me? I've never, ever heard a pastor ever say give anything. <laughs> Most of them always look for what they can take, let alone give. $100,000? I thought it was like... I'm not hearing what I'm hearing, which is a line out of a mafia movie. I can't be hearing what I'm hearing, you know. So <laughs> I, I was like shocked, you know. So I've, I, I made the statement again. I rephrased it, and I looked at the pastor, and he said, yes, I know. I'm going to give you 100000 So I couldn't believe it. So I rephrased it again. He said, why do you keep telling me? He said, I told him I'd give you 100000 I said, well, just check it because I never, ever heard in all the years of ministry anything like that. The very next week, we were in Johannesburg, South Africa, and I announced I'm going to go to New York City, launch one of the biggest soul winning crusades since the 50s. And a businessman walked up and put a bag down on the, on the counter with uh, 70,000 US dollars worth of Kruger coins, gold Kruger coins, and said, this is for New York. And then the Sunday, we were back at the church and the tithe and offering is normally what it is. You know, we I just mentioned again, folks were going to go to New York City, didn't even know anything really much about what God was going to do just from the dream. And they came to me, said, Pastor, extra 30,000 came in, Mark for New York. So here we are two weeks later, 200 grand. I get a call from Australia, a pastor of a church, said, listen, we're going to sell 100,000 into the crusade in, in New York. And uh, so three weeks, 300,000, I'd never had anything like that ever happen, ever in ministry. But once the word of the Lord is released, once the word of the Lord is released. So anyway, then the provision is released. 
So, uh, I mean, I told my wife, I said, listen, God is not, this is, this is supernatural. The Lord is putting this thing together. This is beyond some idea of us. And I said, we have to walk through and obey God. I didn't know how much it would cost. I didn't realize that this would be the biggest stretch for us. And I didn't realize that obviously what was going to be birthed would be a release of everything we're doing today, you know. How so? <laughs> so, um, anyway, make a long story How short. so, Dr. Rodney? Like, what, what changed in New York that you say it was a release of everything? What, what was like uh, before New York and then after New York? Well, the whole method of now, you see, during the 90s, everybody wanted to come to Revival to get touched, to come to Revival to get touched, to come to Revival to get touched. But there's a purpose behind the power. You have to go out, which I try to get people to get outside the four walls of the church with the power. The upper room was never a place of being, you know, just getting touched and staying. There was in a hotel you check in, never check out of. It was a place of being empowered. Then you go out to a lost and dying world. Well, the, the, the church on the one side, the Pentecostals or the Charismatics just want to come roll in the floor. On the other side, the evangelicals are afraid of the fire. So now we find ourselves in no man's land. But the gospel soul winning script was birthed there at Madison Square Garden. And everything we're doing now, rather than going to arenas and spending millions of dollars and some big event, we're just going to churches and mobilizing churches to win souls so that they do it consistently every day, every week, and they become like a soul-saving station. So that's, which I couldn't have seen that back then because I didn't have that in my spirit, but God began to unfold that over the years coming out of Madison Square Garden. So, you know, and then, of course, uh, the whole miracle of getting in there, the $2 million deposit. I had a date by the 8th of January, 99, I had to have a million in. I only had 275, sorry, 295. I need if I'd already put down 200,000. So I, I need another 505. And within four days, 505,000 came in supernaturally. The first week of January of 99 from the Monday night, which, uh, uh, you know, uh, of, of January of 99 to the, to the Thursday that I was able to go to the bank and get a bank guaranteed check of 800000 and overnight it to Madison Square Garden. Then the second uh, deadline of the 30th of, of June of 99 was the other million. We had like 600 and I think it was 40000 in the bank in the Madison Square Garden account. And then 340000 came in. One pastor called me and said we were crying. We had a building fund of 300000 We needed $3 million. We couldn't build. And our building fund was stuck, wasn't going anywhere. My wife and I were weeping. We said we have to sow this into New York. So they sent the money overnight. And then every week, 180000 was needed on the Tuesday before I got on the platform. And every week was supernatural. I came home. 250 of our church moved to New York, moved there, and, and, and were there on the ground for eight weeks, two weeks prior, and then the whole six weeks of the meetings. Some of them never came back. Many were launched in the ministry. Some immediately went to Turkey. That's when the church in Istanbul was birthed because they had an earthquake right after that. I shipped people over to Turkey. We started the river at Istanbul. It's been going now, what, 19 years. Bible school is on television all across 
of Europe. Um, you know, there's just crazy stuff that that happens, <coughs> which people said to me, "Look, we already made we already made the move. We might as well just keep going." You know, which I said, "Sure, why well, come back and then get entrenched in your daily grind?" I mean, you already launched, so stay launched. You know, which if I wanted to hang on to people, I would have hung on to them, but. I say all that to say this, but the big thing was that message of the 30th of July of 99, that there was a storm coming and the rise of terrorism and nations plot the downfall of America as we speak, that America's not ready for what's coming and America's a sitting duck. What would happen if a missile landed in New York City, the 30th of July of 99, two years, two years and a bit before 9-11? Now, we stayed in the Marriott right by the Twin Towers. I can still remember one day, Donica says to me, I'm going to take Kirsten Kelly Kenneth and go up the Twin Towers. Do you want to come? I said, no, you can go up there. I have no interest in going up those buildings. But it was like I had this feeling of impending disaster, which I could not even put my finger on it. In actual fact, when I walked Manhattan, I had to put my sunglasses on because I began to weep. We started that meeting on the 7th of July with a, with a, with a heat wave that shut down the subways of Manhattan. So everyone, everyone couldn't get to the meeting. The first night we opened with 3,000 people in the, in the garden. Of course, all the critics say, yeah, Howard Brown comes and what a flop. Well, if you had 3,000 on Broadway, you'd be a success. But right. now because I was 3,000 in the garden, now suddenly I'm a flop. But I learned a long time ago to not even listen to the critics. I was not there one night. I was there six weeks. And in the sixth week, we turned away 5,000 people from the garden and broke the all-time attendance record uh, greater than the Holyfield fight where Tyson was hungry because they'd been starving him to get him down to his weight. And he looked at uh, uh, Holyfield's ear and it looked like a flank steak and he chewed on it. So but we broke, we turned away 5,000 people from the garden that night. So... You know, the critics can say what they want to. They still have to go rent Madison Square Garden for six weeks to 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 come into the into the playing field. So I, I've learned a long time ago. Yeah, say all you want to, but the fact is that we obey God and we're doing what God's called us to do. And I'm not saying that arrogantly. I say this humbly. When God speaks, we have to obey, regardless of what the critic says. Regardless of what the person on the sideline has a comment on, who they think, what they think, how they think, listen, just obey God. And and so I'm a little fired up about that today because I really feel even the running of uh, these 300 cities of the world lighting fires. You know, we've already 122 cities. People think we're crazy. What are you doing? Look, I'm busy. I'm busy. So, uh, you know. And I want to encourage everybody today, and that's why I encourage you too. I mean, you're doing a great job. Just keep pounding away at it. The critics, you'll have many. And the commentators on the sideline, you'll have many. And it's not the critic that counts. It's the one that's in the arena, you know. So, um, and basically, we just have to obey God. I would have been very, very embarrassed had I delayed the thing because I didn't have the money at the time. If I delayed it and then 9-11 happened and then I was trying to go in there after the fact, you know, which yeah, all to the, totally different. All, yeah, all the prophets at that juncture, everybody, we knew this was coming. They knew nothing. 
they knew nothing, you know. So it's like with the economic downturn of 08 happened, it was written up in, I think, Charisma magazine, and they said the prophets said they never saw it coming. And I said to Donica, of course, they're not prophets. How can, what do you mean, blind prophets? We've got blind prophets here that can't see what's coming. And I keep, I kept talking, oh, four, oh, five, oh, six, oh, seven. We were major trouble coming to America, you know. But anyway, then you just look like you're crazy and you, you know. But we're not. We're not. So. Well, the thing you said that interested me on the way in was how when God speaks to you, there's a zeal, like an energy to get it done quickly, and then the, the money's released quickly. And if you, if you wait past that time, you miss it. Yeah, there's a moment. There's a moment for it to take place. You know, there's a moment for it to happen. And, um, you know, it's a, my son is a barista, Kenneth. And so he studied coffee and he studied the beans. And he, he said, Dad, if you grind the beans past a certain thing and when you, when you release it, if you, if, you don't, if you do it longer, the, the coffee gets bitter. He shows there's a moment that you, you've got to time it. I mean, he's got it down to the science of it. And while I don't know anything about that in the kingdom, I just know that there's a moment. If you get past it, it turns bitter. And you have to, you have to be on it. You have to, you have to be on it, you know. And so as, as strong as whatever our gifting would be, I mean, imagine you've got an angel appearing to you, an eight-year-old boy, and now you're sitting around waiting because you're upset because you don't get accepted by certain groups of people or this one opposed to you. What are you going to say to the angel? What are you going to say to the Lord? Lord, I would have done it, but they didn't like me. Who cares? You know, we on heaven's mandate anyway. We're not here because people, we didn't get chosen by man. No man chose us. If man chose us, we wouldn't even be picked. Correct. You know, when I was a kid, I was a little kid. So when, they, when, when we were at the break, they would pick teams for football, and I'd be the last one, you know, because I was tiny. <laughs> nobody wanted to pick me because I was the smallest guy, you know. So I know what that's like. And I was the same in the ministry. Nobody would pick me. But I, I didn't let it bother me. I just smile and say, fine. I know what God's called us to do. And, you know, and probably if I was the Lord, I wouldn't have picked me either, you know. So, Yeah, you're actually warned the other way in, in the ministry as far as, like, be careful and, like, take your time. But you, you, you actually stand a greater chance of missing things by delay. And then, you know, you can plan quickly. It's not like you have to just be reckless. You can make a plan to move fast and then quickly speak with people who, who know more than you do and, and, and get whatever advice you need. But more people miss it from, from being slow than they do moving too quick, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and I would rather be ahead of God than behind. You know, I'd rather the Lord put the brakes on me and slow me down than... Um, than um, you know, not doing it at all. And um, the, uh, yeah, it's like when the Lord spoke to me last uh, January to go break the drought in Cape Town. I mean, I didn't have the wherewithal. No church wanted to work with us in Cape Town. So we didn't have a venue. I rented a cricket ground and went on an open field in Cape Town for 12 nights and, and broke the drought. By the 10th night, the rains came, and then the dams started filling up by April because the city was going to run out of water. 
That event cost us half a million dollars. I didn't have the money for it. But Paul said you'll have half before the end of January. The other half will come in in South Africa. And it did. You know, South Africa's in a major crisis right now. They, they're killing people. Major problems in the nation, you know. So, uh... It's crazy. I feel it's, like that was that was the main change that happened after I I met you when you laid hands on Adolis and I. I you know you don't you don't realize you're slow until after. But then I I felt like a drive for for ministry and, and moving fast. And when I just met uh, the preacher in New Jersey, I told you about. He told me the same thing. He, I said, if I was a 38 year old you. What, what advice would you give yourself? He said, I, don't, I wouldn't do anything differently. He said, I, I moved quickly from the beginning. So uh -huh. he said that was his secret. Move quickly. Well, so I feel that now for the 300 cities. I mean, we're 122 into it. By the end of November, we'll be at 154 cities. That gives 148 cities next year. People say, you're crazy. You can't do one night. I said, look, I feel the energy for it. I feel the wind for it. And I have the faith for it. And I've got to light the fires. It's upper room meetings. It's got nothing to do with the crowds. It's churches. Churches that are being ignited and set ablaze by the Holy Ghost to win souls in their town, their city, their village. I mean, if you get 12 people set ablaze, they can turn the whole place upside down. I, last time I checked, Jesus picked 12 people. And last time I checked, the upper room had 120 people. So maybe my expectation's low. But I look for 12 key people in each city and 120 people to get, or 100 people to get ignited by fire. And they're all going to win souls and they're going to impact the kingdom in their realm of influence, whether it be business, uh, government, education, uh, you know, from the littlest child to the oldest saint. We've got, we got an 80 old kid in the church that's led, what, 1,200 people of the Lord this year already. He's raised his goal to 2,000 souls this year. It's an 80 year old kid. So, you know, the urgency of the moment. I mean, people are dying. I don't know if you've ever seen the death clock. There's a clock you can put up, and I've, I've done it before in one of my meetings. I stuck the thing up, and while I'm preaching, uh, during the course of the night, you know, 4,000 people, 5,000 people die. And I said, look, these people are dying. Out of this group of people dying, how many go into heaven? Who? How many of them go screaming into a lost eternity? And so death means nothing for anybody till a family member of your, yours dies. Then you stand at the funeral and you reflect on their life and you realize life is short and, and, and you realize the urgency, you know, at the moment. But when people outside of your family removed from you are dying, it's just, well, they died or whatever. Right. But there's people dying and there's an urgency. Otherwise, the angel of the Lord would not have appeared to you. There's an urgency. We've got to win souls. We're the only thing we can take with us when we leave this earth as people. That's it, period. Now, I'm not saying this to be nice. I've never said anything to be nice. But I, I can't name anybody your age that has urgency. In, in North America, anyway, or, or Europe. And maybe I just don't know them. So tell me, it's one thing to have urgency and zeal when you're in your 20s and 30s. But what did you do to keep your urgency and zeal in your, you know, up, up through your 50s? Well, I mean, here's the thing. You know, I, I, again, too, have watched a lot of people that are coming to, at my age, which I'm 58 now, 
where people are starting to talk about succession and uh, retirement and all this. And I'm looking at that guy. You've got to be out of your mind. I mean, I'm going to smack this thing another 30 years, you know. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting around here waiting for death. I'm not sitting around here waiting for retirement. I mean, I can take a holiday and have a great three-week vacation and do stuff that I wanted to do or whatever. But I'm going to smack this thing. I'm going to smack it up the side of the head. And, we, you know, when we go out, we're going out in the saddle. We're not going out. It's like one of those old cowboys, you know, riding a range, you know, the gunslingers of the West. You know? <laughs> it's like uh, we're, not, we're not looking for a retirement home or a nice uh, place on the beach where we can just sit and watch the waves and sit on the porch and rock while you have the grandkids come to you. I mean, there's, there's mountains to climb. There's, you know, you look at people like Dr. Sumrall, who really impacted me, um, you know, Lester. Lester, he, there was no quitting for him until the moment he went home. And I think that's the way it should be. Wigglesworth and many of the other greats that came on before us. And, uh, I mean, there was no – Wigglesworth ministry actually only started at 56. Really, that's when it exploded. And then for the next 30-plus years, he ran seven continents. And um, the same with people like Brother Hagen. His ministry only took off at the age of 56. So here you've got ministries taking off at 56, 60, 65, 70. And then you've got ministries that are shutting down at 65 and 70, that are handing over and stepping aside. And – you know, if you start shutting down by 70, you'll be dead at 74, 75. It's over. It's finished. So, you know, obviously there's some adjustments that you might have to make. If your health is not that good, then obviously you have to stay within the confines of that. But with modern technology, you can reach out around the world without even leaving your house. But, I mean, I, if God's blessed you with good health, which he has me, and I feel the energy to do it, and I feel like I'm only really ready to actually start the ministry now. In actual fact, my wife and I feel like maybe we're only ready to have kids now, you know, and start. <laughs> it's like it's like crazy because, you know, we when we started, I mean, I met her, I was 19, she's 18. We got married, I was 20, she was 19. And by the time I was 25, I had three kids and 26, I'm leading a revival, you know. So, um, and yes, I mean, I ran flat out. I didn't consider myself, which the Lord really protected me and helped me. I mean, if you remember my pictures of me when I blew up, I was like an advertisement for Pillsbury Doughboy, you know. So, uh, and uh, partly because I never ate breakfast. I ate lunch at 3, 4 in the afternoon and ate supper at midnight, which all that's changed. And the Lord helped me lose all that weight. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but even then, when you, when, again, the critics, you know, the... Ah, look how big he is. Probably eats all the offerings. And then when I lose the weight, oh, he's lying to the church. He's not telling me he has an incurable disease. You know, So you're damned on either side of the spectrum because there's always somebody sitting on the sideline commenting. They're the flybys, the commenters on Facebook and YouTube, the thumbs down crowd, you know, where like we have an all-night prayer meeting, five thumbs down. <laughs> Who in their right mind thumbs down an all-night prayer meeting? You have to be on crack. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. are on crack. Bro. Speaking like, of which, Adalas just joined us. Adalas just joined us in the studio, so she's, she's on the call with us. Hey, AD. Hi. 
How are you? How you doing? Do you know how a microphone uh, works? You don't talk into the side of it. I feel like this is right. <laughs> I feel like this talking. is right. I wish you could see the picture. It's like an Amish person using electronics for the first time. I feel like this is right. But you know what? I sound crisp and clear. How do you know? I just know. I just know I do. I sound real good. Yeah, you coming through here wall to wall and treetop tall. Hey, hey. That's one of the old sayings on the CB radio. When <laughs> well, she's talking into into the mic like it's one of those radios with the circle thing in the front with the call signs of the radio. They had something. Oh, like is that. that right? Yeah. Sorry. That's great. I, I just wanted to welcome her into the call. Hey, we love you guys so love much. You. No, but keep talking. I didn't mean for her. I don't even know why she's here, to be honest. <laughs> Behave yourself. You asked me. <laughs> Behave yourself. Without her, you couldn't do what you're doing. Just remember that. No, that's true. Say that again. Yeah. Always remember that. Without AD, you couldn't do what you're doing. Laundry would be piling up through the through the through the. Still ceiling. kind of is. <laughs> you you the half. She's the half that makes you whole. And, but, uh, no, that's true. Yeah, I couldn't have done anything without Adonica. I mean. She's the attention to detail, to the minutest microscopic detail sometimes frustrates the living daylight out of me. But um, in, <laughs> I, I had to learn to allow her to bring forth that detail that I couldn't see. And, uh, you know, so it's been a great blessing. To me, <laughs> we, we laugh. I'm laughing because we had. I got a new book coming out in January on socialism, and there was a, a discussion about the cover. And I wanted the white cover; she wanted the red cover. So I explained why I wanted the white cover. She explained why she wanted the red cover. At the end of the day, she tells the office, "Go with the white cover." I tell the office, "Go with the red cover," and we both laughing because I came to I came her way, and she came my way, and that's. <laughs> That's marriage, you know. Yes, but ultimately, is. I'm going to go with her now. I, I, I'm going to go with the red cover because she, she's right. Red would be so better. So it's just, huh? Red would be better, yes. Yeah, red catches the eye. Socialism. See, in, in our marriage, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, we don't have that problem it's with pointless. attention to detail. Because you... No, I'm talking about you. Oh. Dr. Rodney, in my house, <laughs> I don't want to say the cooking's bad, but we pray after we eat, I'll tell you. But I'm, I, I don't know how well, me, I don't I know mean, how you're supposed to make make meatloaf, but I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to glow in the dark. Just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing, <laughs> I'm just doing some Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> oh my lord! Yeah, but with Uber Eats, I mean, you don't know what you're getting anyway. Yes, yes, exactly. Hey, Doctor Rodney. Yeah. One more Rodney Dangerfield. My wife's hooked up to a machine that keeps her alive. It's called the refrigerator. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> hey, Donica, come over here and greet him, Salah. Yeah, she's we we busy getting ready for the weekend. We have an all-night prayer meeting started tonight, so she's busy getting ready over here. Say hi to AD and Jonathan. We love hey, on the hi, air. mom. Hey, hey everybody. Hi, mom. Momski. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of hi, Russian. The, the ski is the Polish Russian. <laughs> Great to talk to you today. Miss you. All over the place. <laughs> From Tampa, Florida. Well, north of Tampa. But anyways, getting ready to uh, go out in a week's time for... Asia. Asia. Tell me where you're going in Asia. Where you can well, tell. Well, we haven't anyway. really advertised it too much. No, because, you, uh, 
you, of some of the places that are sent to. But I will tell you this: we are we are starting in Japan and going to Mongolia, and we're finishing up in Seoul, Korea. We'll hit the Philippines. We're going to hit um, Thailand. Yeah. So there's some places in between that we just, you know, keeping it low key at this juncture for obvious reasons. But um, it'll be 12 nights, 12 cities. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the persecution. Hey, one of the things I was laughing about, I said this to Pastor Eric the other day. I said, if you go to a city and you're there for a week, you get persecuted for that week. With 12 nights in 12, you know, 12 nights, 12 days, you get 12 weeks of persecution in 12 days. It's like, it's like crazy. Oh, really? It, you can tell it's been amplified? Oh, like you can't believe every, every place. Like, like uh, we lost our building in Seoul, Korea, because they said that I was part of the Apostol Apostolic Reformation Group. I didn't even know what that is. I never even heard that there was a group called Apostolic Reformation. And again, so, I emailed that to those guys in anger, and I shouldn't have. <laughs> and I'm and I'm sorry. <laughs> it was anyway, wrong. But then. the Lord, they found another building, you know. So we have another building, and I mean, some of the stuff we have to make changes, you know, with the, with with two weeks to go, which is fun. That's the way I operate anyway. But um, how would you even? How would you even know? That who even knew that I was part of this group? Crazy, eh? Crazy. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, can so, I get a, uh, can I get a spark one of those sparkling waters real quick? Thanks. Go ahead. No. So uh, you get blamed for everything under the sun, you know. And uh, again, if you have to stop to respond to all the critics, you'll never do anything. So we just leave it alone. Right. Just leave it. Alone. So tell me, you did, you did, you told me the the important like about the guys that were an example to you. But what did? How come you've never gotten slow, like or or, or comfortable, or into some like kind of weak routine in your ministry? What has you going the strongest now? What, like, what do you feel like you've done differently so that me and other people can can model after it? I mean, look. The fact is, people get up every day in the in the world and they go to work. I mean, a, a CEO of a company works, a real successful one works 18, 20 hours a day. And that's just the way it is. Uh, I've never found anybody successful that worked a uh, 40-hour week. Never, ever, ever. It's impossible. A person that is a success is someone that is, is totally dedicated to the task. I mean, I'll come home and... I'm still working at one, two in the morning, working on different things, concepts and stuff like that. So, so I think in ministry, people get lazy, you know, with the, which again, I'm not against a day off, but everybody's got a day off. I actually don't really have a day off. I do take a day off every now and then. Yesterday, I mean, I came back, well, to give an example, the last two months, we had the fire conference, okay, went straight out of the, into the youth week, went to the kids week, went to the River University week. And then I hit 12 cities across America. Um, and so I got home early hours of, uh, well, really, 7 o'clock Saturday. I worked through the day. I was falling asleep at my desk, which I probably should have gone to bed, but I didn't. And then uh, preached twice on Sunday. Monday, I worked the whole day. Tuesday, I was on it, working with Hurricane Relief on the Bahamas and stuff coming to our warehouse, working uh, what airports to get planes into and stuff like that. And the same uh, with Tuesday. And then 
a Tuesday, I started feeling it. I just said, man, I, I just felt it. And then yesterday, that it's like the wheels came off. So yesterday, I spent half of the day just chilling. And then I went, took my son-in-law, and we went and hit some golf balls and just kind of chilled. Uh, when I got them supper, we ate at the house. The last night came home. And here I am. I'm still just chilling here. It's midday. But we're going to go into all-night prayer meeting. And then tomorrow night, I've got to go to Pensacola to that um, to that conference I'm speaking. Tomorrow night, going to close out the conference. And then we have two services on Sunday. And then basically, we have Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, to get ready for this trip across Asia. So there's always stuff that you're doing. There's planning. There's strategy. I'm working on February meetings, all the meetings for February. We're, we're working on November's meetings. We're going to hit 18 cities across America the first three weeks of November. So when you're always working, you're always planning ahead. And uh, what, I, what I feel like a lot of ministries, they're always reactionary. They always work on a crisis, like a 911. So there's a major crisis. Oh, we got to do this, whatever. And if you're always in a crisis, you're never moving forward. So we have to be, we have to, sit, we have to think, we have to be ahead in the spirit, planning, strategizing. There's always going to be the winds, the twists in the road that you didn't see that were coming, but that's why we do the prayer. That's why tonight's all-night prayer meeting will go ahead and clear the month of September in the spirit. You know, that's what I do with all-night prayer meeting, the 12 hours of prayer in the spirit, praying in other tongues, clearing the month that God will go before us, which we know he will, and that God will work out the kinks and, and some of the stuff that, you know, is the unforeseen stuff. I mean, even this last two months, we had some unforeseen things. But to be honest with you, I don't know where August went. I have no clue where August went. I was in church last Sunday telling everybody July was a great month, and then I realized we're in <laughs> September. <laughs> and I thought, hey, we had August too, you know, but it was gone. August was gone. So I think just get up every day and, 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 and get with it. Plus, at the same time, like you didn't spend time with your daughter, your wife, you know, spending time with the people that are important. Your family is the most important, which no, but probably I, I didn't do. I didn't I, do that in the early days. You know, they were always put on the back burner um, for every other minister, and some of those ministers don't even return my phone calls today. So, you know, what was that about? And again, my phone so, was on Do Not Disturb, and I, I apologize. Well, you have a good method. You just don't talk to anybody. <laughs> but, <laughs> It's not no, bad. No, you know, I did, my, I my did take something out of your book uh, 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 on the subject of what you're talking about because I never took vacations, and then you told me that you should. And the one benefit I found of doing that is like we just, you know, Dallas and I and Camila just took one. I think if you don't take a vacation, you start mixing vacation in with your life because you, you need a break and don't know it. Whereas if you get it out of your system, like take a br break, then just come come back and hit it hard. And then you never, you don't just slowly become lazy from never having taken a break. You know what I mean? Yeah, which in actuality, you actually need three-week vacation. Now I'll tell you why. It takes the first week to, to kind of wind down. It takes the second week to start to rest. And the third week, you start, you feel rested and you start gearing back up to where you feel like, I need to get back now. If you take two weeks, you haven't really broken through that, that threshold. So this is what they said, that CEOs that are successful take a three-week 
break, and and you'll find that out. So next time you schedule uh, or schedule, however you want to say, schedule a three-week <laughs> break and watch what happens. That first week, you wind down. I mean, there are many times my wife and I, we'll just sleep for the first week. We won't go anywhere. And the second week, we'll start up around whatever. we start resting and just feel, ah, you know, this is great, which is always good to go to a place like, you know, of course, for us, Maui, Hawaii is our place of rest. We go there. If we land there within within 24 hours, within 24 hours, we, we feel like, how long have we been here? You know, we just feel like we, we rested because we're familiar with the place. Right. We're familiar with, you know, you just, you, you don't know, did I get here yesterday or have I been here a week? So it's always good. At a new place, when you go to rest, you always got to get familiarity where you go and, you know, with 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 married to my wife, you know, there's a whole set protocol that has to take place. Uh, you know, where we get our water from and, you know, we would pick up some <laughs> organic supplies and, you know, so everything has to be mapped out, you know. And um, there's some places you go, you just can't rest. It's not a, you don't feel, you don't feel restful there. It's a lot of... Um, how can I say? It's just the hotel is not conducive to rest, uh, just everything, and then the scenery around you and all that kind of stuff. So so I, I encourage everybody, if you're going to take a break, take three weeks and um, and watch what happens. So, Adolis, next yeah. time, schedule three weeks and just mark it on the calendar. Because I have people call yes, me sir. and say, hey, I see your calendar's open. And can you come here? I go, no, it's not open. Yeah, no, no, you're not booked anywhere. I said, oh, yes, I am. No, no, you're not booked. I said, look, I'm booked. That's my time away with my wife. What are you talking about? I'm not booked. I'm not putting that on the calendar. Yeah. You know, so, and if you're not careful, people will pull on every free moment that you have, you know. What I always find funny, which I'm sure you've, Fine. When we do these one night uh, uh, cities, people actually think that we came in from a beach. You know, <laughs> it's like when you arrive at a city, they don't know you've just hit six cities in a row. You you, you arrive in there, they think you just came from a vacation on a beach, sitting on a deck chair under an umbrella, drinking pineapple juice. No, you're right. People no. don't have a clue because they've never seen. You know, people are, are kind of familiar with pastoring, but I don't think, you know, there's not a lot of evangelists or tra traveling ministries anymore, so people don't know what they do. But even at the church, it's funny, because I arrive in late Saturday or early Saturday morning, and then I'm at church Sunday morning, and then people drag into church, and I go, well, you had a rough week? <laughs> How many cities were you in? You, you had a really rough week? You had you lost sleep? Look at you. How can you be this low power? Why are you so low energy? What's going on here? You know. But you, you know, the other part of it is the grace of God because you come in, even though you've been in twelve cities that week or whatever, you come in looking like you just came from the beach. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one can tell by looking at you that that you you've been traveling. No, no. I mean, we were just swimming with the sharks. You know. So. Uh, Adrenaline's high when you're out there in the shocks, and I'm just talking about the preachers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved yeah. what you said on the way in when you were talking to me about 
because I've, I've thought of it a lot, how, how people, what we were talking about before we came on the air, I, I was talking to him on the phone, and, and then, we, you know, we were going to start, so I just continued the conversation, but uh, he was talking about how... We've got to move. If yeah, God speaks to us, we have to move immediately. Concert and wait. Ministers will feel to do something, and then they don't do it, so he said, imagine if I felt to go to New York strong. Everybody tried to talk him out of it. And he said, I went anyway. Imagine if I'd have waited two years and 9-11 happened, then it's after the fact, then everyone was talking about New York. But that was like a prophetic thing where God will keep you ahead of what's happening. But if you delay, you miss the whole thing. Your provision comes for it. And when God tells you to do something, which is something that's not taught or I don't think most people know, when God speaks to you to do something, you, there's an energy and a zeal that comes with him telling you that word. That's why you get excited about it. And if you wait past it, then you actually don't have the, the supernatural energy to get done what God's called you to do. Like, like uh, Dr. Rodney, like when God told Gideon, when the angel came and told him his orders, and then he said, go in this thy might. So there's, there's a strength from God that accompanies his instruction. And you meet so many people that, well, the Lord told me to do this back then, and they still haven't done it. Or they, they told every, everybody something, and it's still not done. You make more, you stand more of a risk missing God by being slow and quote-unquote careful than you do moving quickly. Yeah, it's like what Brother Hagin said. Many ministers live and die without ever entering the first phase of their ministry. Hmm. And so because of, there could be several things because of financial uh, things. It could be because of, um, uh, you know, criticism or waiting on, they, they're always waiting on the right timing. Um, and it's like what Ecclesiastes 11 says, you know, cast your bread on the water after many days you find it, give a portion of seven, even to eight. And then it says, uh, you know, if the clouds are full of rain, uh, or if the wind blows, you know, it, it still tells you to sow your seed. You, because because you've been waiting for all opportunity to be favorable, you'll not reap. So this is, you say, well, this is not the most opportune time for me to sow or to do what God's telling me to do. But then when the harvest comes, it's also not opportune because I'm, I'm not in a position to receive it right now because the wind's blowing and the rain's coming. So, but you have to keep, you sow in the middle of the, of the storm, you reap in the middle of the storm, you, you just stay consistent doing, and I think my wife's standing here, she's got something she wants to say, honey. Well, you know, we tell people there's there's a direction and there's timing. And uh, so direction, that means like, like overall direction for your whole life, what God's calling you to do, and then like specific things like go to New York. Um, and But there's a timing for things as well. And, you know, I think that, that the same way that, that more the olden time people would understand the concepts of the sowing and the reaping because they actually lived off the land and grew their own stuff. And so they completely understood everything. They, they could relate to it. So... If you think of the wind, I think of a ship. And there were ships. We were on um, a particular island, and um, they were talking about how um, that this island had certain things that that the world really needed. And so they would come and they would get these things uh, on these ships, obviously with sails, no motors, all of these things back way, 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 way back. You know, even hundreds of years, even a couple of thousands of years. And so what they would have to do is they would come, uh, and there was a certain season. And they had to go at that season because the wind was blowing in this particular direction. They would come to this island and they would have to actually wait many times 
for uh, for a month or two or even three months they have to wait on the island before the winds changed to that would blow them back home and i think what you have to understand is you know like i heard somebody say and i thought that this was really good people are always waiting for their ducks to line up oh we know when the ducks get in the row well uh, if you look at ducks, you'll realize that the only time ducks are ever in a row is when they're moving. So you have to get moving for all your ducks to fall into place. And I think the important thing about the wind, we have to understand. So you, you, you have this, uh, you know, don't look at the wind, keep sowing. So in the natural, it's never going to look like an opportune time. It's never going to look like the right time in the natural. Never, ever. The devil will make sure. Uh, you know, whatever kind of opposition he can bring against you or the finances, your circumstances, it's never an opportune time in the natural. But that's where you plug into the Holy Spirit. You can't be led by what you see and even your emotions, what you feel. You have to be led by that Holy Spirit on the inside. And you feel when God tells you and you feel that wind on it. And, and Rodney and I are the same way. If we don't feel a wind on it, we're not going to move on it. We can't move on it. We're not going to move on it. The Lord's not, if he's not blowing on it, we're going to stand right where we are. But, and just keep doing what we're doing. But the moment we feel that wind start blowing, that's the time to jump and go. Stick your sails up and let that wind push you and take you where God's going. So that's, that's you know, to, so that people can understand when you, you, uh, you know, the difference between just jumping out ahead of God and being impatient because you can't be impatient either. You got to just be patient. Just if God hasn't, if the wind of the spirit has not blown you in a different direction from what you're doing uh, right now, keep doing it. Keep being a blessing, keep focused on what God's called you to do, because there's a lot of people, they don't focus properly. Like, you know, we're talking about, you know, take a, a, a decent vacation so that when you come back, you're ready to go and you're not kind of going at half a speed. And there's a lot of people that do this also with their focus. They're like half focused on what they're doing now because they always like, like, it's like that, you know, up squirrel, squirrel. They always like, Oh, maybe I should be over there. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe that. And they jump around and they never end up going anywhere. They just, they just, you know, sit in this. Or they run around to ministries where they think maybe uh, that ministry is going. So let me see if I can pick up something there instead of realizing God has given them their own ministry. Like I've got people that say, look, we, we're sorry we haven't come around. I said, what are you talking about? Well, we haven't been around in a while. I said, listen, you're busy. You, you don't need to be around. I mean, you don't have to come sit in my meetings. Keep doing what God's called you to do. If you get a break and you can't come, fine. But stay focused. You don't have to come sit. I mean, if everybody's sitting in my meetings, how am I going to reach new people anyway? I won't have seats for new people to come. You know, it's like some people, well, you need to come get into the meeting. What are you talking about? Um, you know, stay focused. Yeah, we. I just got a testimony this morning from a young lady from our Bible school. And uh, she went out for the summer on a uh, mission trip uh, to to Europe with a group of other young ladies and uh, Scandinavia, different places. And so plan was to be there for you know at least three months, come back to Florida and then figure out what God wants for her next. But what's happened is so many doors have opened for her now. She's actually going to apply for a visa to stay longer in a particular Scandinavian country because that's where the doors opened. And she's just like she's blown away. She said that wasn't even... In my plan, I just went. I was going to come back to Florida, then figure out. So I said to you, you know, that's just what we did. We went out. We got married. We went out in the ministry. We had like one meeting booked, one one location for you know. We were there for a few weeks, and we we just went out. We just 
we just put one foot in front and we just went as God led. And so, you know, you, you just have to, uh, you know, relax. Don't try to save the whole world all by yourself. Just focus on what God's called you to do and and look at what he's calling you to do today. Plan for tomorrow. You know, obviously, uh, you know, there's things we had in our heart, like, you know, when we first got married, Rodney knew some things. He knew he'd be preaching in arenas, not in an arrogant way, but he knew because the Holy Spirit showed him. And, you know, but it takes years to move into those things. But people, the problem is people will never see a lot of those things they feel in their heart because they're not faithful right now with what, what they have in front of them right now. And so, so there are all of these things come into play in, in, in the thing. And uh, I, I know, you know, like Rodney's the, the visionary, like you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And I'm like, okay, this is what you have to think about. This is what, you know, so I'm all about, I love, you know, Luke 16, be faithful, faithful in little, faithful in much, faithful with that, which is another man's and God will give you your own. Faithful with unrighteous mammon, which so many people even in ministry miss that one completely. So, you know, be faithful because your your attitude towards money is completely. You know, of course, that's another sermon, tied into. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if you if you can't be trusted with money yeah. and giving, then who's going to trust you with 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 the anointing and with spiritual things? So we have to, you know, make sure that all of these bases are covered. But again, it's just you know, living your life, uh, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that's all that we've ever done. And uh, you know, or endeavor to do. I mean, I'm not saying we're not saying we've done everything right, but we endeavor to. The moment if we did something wrong, we immediately go to the Lord and say, "Please forgive us," you know, and we make right and adjust, you know. So it's always about adjusting, and you learn. You know, you learn. Uh, you also learn the devil attacks you on two occasions when you're doing the will of God and when you're not doing the will of God. So you've got to. <laughs> yeah, either way, the attack's going to come. So you just have to keep. You just have to keep uh, going through all of that. Yeah, and, and I must say this yeah, on on the air today. We're not talking as a ministry that gets full acceptance everywhere. We, You've had uh, opposition? We, in most places, we, we are most, most of the time we are rejected. And so even still to this day, the rejection is huge, you know, but I'm not curled up in a fetal position, shivering on the floor, crying about being rejected. I... You know, the fact is there's acceptance on the other side and we just keep moving, keep doing what God called us to do. And you don't stop trying to become acceptable because the moment you try to become acceptable, well, if you just change this, if you just don't preach this, if you just don't say that, then you'll be acceptable. And those are the people that you don't want to be acceptable with because those are the people that are going to put the fire out and cause you to end up dying early because you will never accomplish God's purpose and plan for your life. And if, if they do accept you, where does it get you? Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have to live your life. You have, to, you have to die to the opinions of others in the sense that, um, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously you, um, <laughs> you, you are unique, but you, you don't care what people think. My husband's kind of the same way. They don't care what people think in the sense of uh, when it comes to what God's told you, you know, we, you, you, you both love people. I mean, I've seen how you weep over souls. You know, my husband, you, you guys love, not that you don't love people, not that you're trying to offend people, not, not that you're trying to be offensive, but you've made a choice, both of you and all of us, to we are going to honor God and do what he wants us to do over and above the opinions of other people. So I had to learn in every area to die to what people think of me and focus only on God, what he wants 
and doing his plan and his will and ultimately you know uh, uh, we have two commissions love god with all our heart soul and mind and love our neighbors ourselves so we love god we love people we fulfill those two and we don't worry about you know like i love what rodney says the the the, the dogs can bark but the caravan keeps moving right. but the thing that we we the two keys for us was was following that wind of the Holy Spirit. And the other thing is you personally make sure you stay in the center of the will of God. That is not just like in your calling and your direction and your your ministry and what you do, but in your personal life alone with the doors closed, with nobody else, uh, you make sure your heart is right with God at all times in all things. And that's the only thing that's going to carry you through all of these things, because without that, you can have a great vision, you can have a great call, you can have the most phenomenal gifting on your life, the most phenomenal anointing, uh, you know, like called by God, uh, you know, supernatural. But if you don't have that that character, if you don't have that humility, uh, if you don't have, uh, you know, if you don't make sure that you keep your heart right with God. So it's not a case of that, you know, behind the scenes, you are one person in front of the scenes, you're, you're something else. No. What God wants to do is he wants us to drop the masks. He wants us to get real with him. He wants us to, to you know, go through those processes of the fire of God, letting him burn all the garbage out of us so that when people are in our presence and when they see us, they see Jesus, they feel his presence. And that comes from that behind the scenes, you know, that, that humility, because really, you know, that's the only thing that's going to take you through the criticism because if if you if you have any kind of a any kind of pride in you it's going to manifest when you get attacked and so you have to completely humble yourself and and just humble yourself before god and you know i th- this scripture really the last few months has been going over in me you know especially ministering to particular situations and people if your heart does not condemn you you have peace with god Hmm. If you if if you have if you feel convicted about something, deal with it, repent, get over it, pick yourself up, and keep going. And so, because when you keep your heart humble, you have no problem forgiving people. You have no problem apologizing. You you have no problem, uh, you know, letting things roll off of you. People's attitudes, people's opinion, it doesn't matter because ultimately. You know what? I'm nothing. We're nothing. He's everything. So we don't really care what what you think of us. That's irrelevant. What God's called us to do and what we're doing, as long as we are in the will of God, that's the only thing that matters. That's right. And I think at the end of the day, that's... Yeah, so let me just say this to everybody uh, watching um, Jonathan and Dallas. Get behind this couple. They're phenomenal in what they're doing not just with the crusades they're doing and all the stuff that's coming up, uh, especially leading into 2020, which I believe 2020 is going to be your most significant year. I mean, I'm not writing off the rest of the months of this year, but 2020 is going to be a significant year for you guys. And uh, But I want to encourage everybody that's uh, watching, really get behind them and uh, financially, prayerfully uh, commit you know, to what the vision is God's called them to do. Because we need uh, we need them desperately. We need what they're doing, the boldness of the voice to speak up, and of course, even what you're doing. I, I watched um, yesterday your uh, thing on 35 things, uh, questions to those that would attack prosperity. Phenomenal, 
And of course, obviously, as you and I know, nobody's going to answer each one of those 35 things. They just write you off because they have no answer. The critics are like the liberals. They have no answer to any of the problems. All they can do is call you names <clears throat> and they just, you know, what they call you, you know, you false doctrine, you heretic. That's all they know. They don't know any other thing. They can't debate theologically from the word. They have no foundation in the scripture. And they are, all they did was read a book about a book about a book. But, you know, one thing, we read the book, but we met the author, and that's different. So every person that's listening, you get behind uh, Revival Today, get behind the ministry, uh, not only in a one-time life gift today, uh, be as generous as you can. And I know Jonathan never asked me to do this. I'm just doing this. But but also a monthly commitment. Say, hey, we, we're behind you guys, praying for you guys. And uh, so I just want you to know we're proud of you. And I believe, you know, God's raised you guys up to be a voice to America in this, in this day of total insanity, uh, you know, about what's taking place. And uh, by me saying all that, I will tell you this. I don't believe America's finished. I don't believe God's finished with America. I believe that we're going to see another great awakening and America's going to be shaken by the hand of God. And uh, so that's let, about, let see Dr. that's about it. I'm going to show them your book on the anointing so that anybody that enjoyed hearing you talk can can uh, get a copy. What did you write in your book while they were talking? Or in your notebook? What did you write down? An idea for a devotional, the go, 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 about just whenever you feel to do something to just do it. Yeah, it's important. And you're actually warned the opposite. All right. If you've enjoyed the man's picture you've seen on the screen, two books that pretty much encapsulate his ministry. This one is on the anointing. And this one is the killing of Uncle Sam. And these are probably the two, if you could put his ministry, uh, like Oral Roberts said, a man's ministry has one message, two at the most. These would be the two for Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. One would be letting you know what's really going on in America and in the world so that you're not just, like many churches, just ignore what's going on on the outside and don't ever address it. So this, this tells you top to bottom. And then this is on the anointing. What is the anointing? Understanding the anointing. How to increase the anointing. Releasing and transferring the anointing. Anyone who gives today. Hey, I got a new um, P.O. box for our ministry for offerings. Did you know that, Dr. Rodney? I saw that. Immediately you said that I googled Prosperity Florida to see if I could get one. But that's <laughs> up in the panhandle, so that wouldn't work for me. People be riding up and down with a truck to get my mail. But what a great idea. Yeah. I love that. So if you want to mail in your offering, it's P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. I not only believe in prosperity, I, can, I own a P.O. Box in prosperity. P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, and then Cash App, RT Give. Anyone who gives any amount, how's that? So if you want to rip me off, you're free to do it today. Uh, you can call the number at the bottom of the screen, give by PayPal. Just keep the number up because I think a lot of the people watching on CTN are... Uh, age 90 and older, so the phone's easier. So it's 412-446-2332. And then there's all-night prayer if you're in the Florida area. Well, first of all, if you're in the Pittsburgh area, my wife, who's seated next to me that they refuse to put on camera for some reason. There she is. She will be preaching tonight. Tell them where you're preaching. Champion Christian Center in Washington, Pennsylvania. So if you're in the greater Pittsburgh area, West Virginia, Ohio, Maryland, you could be there, Champion Christian Center, in Washington, Pennsylvania, that starts at 7 o'clock. It's ladies only. 
like biological women. Now, you think you possibly could be a woman. There may be a woman living inside of you. You have to be an actual lady, and then they'll let you in the meeting. And then if you want to go to all-night prayer tonight, if you're in the Tampa area, Florida, it's a great way to consecrate your month to the Lord. That prayer meeting starts at what time and takes place where, Dr. Rodney? Uh, it'll be at the church, start at 6 p.m. tonight through 6 a.m. in the morning. River Church in Tampa, Florida. And um, my wife and I have flown in for that before, and it's awesome. So that's 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and they pray. It'll make a huge difference. And then the last thing we'll mention before we end the broadcast, you can put the graphic up for the CTN Cooking Challenge. Arthleen Rippey, who you'll be seeing in just about one minute, she comes on after me, has accepted my cooking challenge. So we're in the process of finding a studio with a dual kitchen. It's going to be set up like chopped on the Food Network, three judges. And then I get an assistant, and she gets an assistant. And we're going to have a cook-off. If she wins, I'll donate $1,000 to the Christian charity of her choice. Obviously, I'm not going to donate to Planned Parenthood or whatever, or the... Miami. Only, only a thousand. That's all you gotta do. A I thousand? thought the same well, thing. Well, I've never cooked. Cheapo. Okay, twenty five hundred. <laughs> but she's the, the point is she's not gonna win. So Arthleen, I know you're watching because you called and responded to the challenge. Uh, in a way, hey, listen. This, go ahead. I commend her. That is one great lady to even accept your challenge. Yeah, that's phenomenal. It's gonna blow. It's going to be the most watched thing on CTN, I can promise you. <laughs> yeah, the show I, down between you. Jonathan and Arthur Rippey is going to be amazing. So the details are to come on that. Thank you, Dr. Rodney, Dr. Donica. Adios. All right, Love we're you. off CTN. Dr. Rodney, thanks for uh, continuing our phone call on the air. And I know the title was Jonathan Takes Your Questions, and I didn't take any questions, but Love you. Um, just went in a different direction. I really enjoyed it, Dr. Rodney, so thanks. It helped me. Hey, what what a suddenly. I didn't expect to be on the air. And, and then it was only when I realized we were actually live on CTN. I was thinking, oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, but I so, mean. Uh, you, you know what? It's, it's good programming. I know we're not selling joint supplement cream or anything, but it's, it's still enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Have a great day. I love you, Dr. Adonica. Love you. Love you guys so much. Blessings to you. All right, here is uh, a man in a cat donut suit playing the drums along with several other clips that uh, brighten up my day, and I hope they brighten up yours. I will not see you at 7 o'clock tonight, but I will see you Saturday morning for a broadcast. So I'm giving the crew enjoy your Friday night. God bless everyone. Thanks to everybody who donated uh, gave into the ministry today. Enjoy the clips. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.